Hello from Boise, Idaho, and Idaho Education News. This is Extra Credit, your weekly podcast looking at education policy and education politics. I'm Kevin Richard. And I'm Clark Corbin. Kevin, this week on Monday, you unveiled the first part of a four-part series looking at higher education in the state of Idaho, our signature education goals, the funding that comes along with that, and some of the barriers to higher education. You talked to school district officials and students uh, from a number of different districts. Kind of walk me through the series, what some of your key findings were, and then uh, we'll, we'll pick certain topics and kind of stay there and, sure. and take a deeper look, if you will. But uh, tee it up. If folks haven't seen it yet, uh, tell me about the series. Well, the series started with us wanting to look at what's happening in terms of trying to get high school graduates to continue their education, whether that means going to college or whether that means going to seek a professional certificate. Uh, This is the state's biggest education goal, as you mentioned, and it's been the state's biggest education goal since the year 2010. The idea is to get 60% of uh, young adults from 25 to 34 to have either a degree of some kind, two-year, four-year, or a professional certificate. Most recent numbers were at 42%, and we haven't had a whole lot of improvement to get there. It's kind of a stagnated number. So what I wanted to do, and what we wanted to do with this series, is try to get at why is that the case? What are the barriers to trying to get from 42 to 60%, which is a big, big jump? And what are we trying to do right now to get there? And that kind of led to the, that was kind of the springboard to the start of the series this week. And it was really a matter of just crunching numbers and looking at how much we've spent on initiatives to des- that are designed to try to get high school graduates to, to continue their education. And You as, came up with a number there that I think a lot of people are going to be talking about. What was it? 100 million over the course of five years. And we walk you through the math. So if you read the story at oednews.org, you'll see the math. You'll see you know a, a table that shows you how much we're spending and where we're spending it and how that funding has increased and how I do the math that gets us north of $100 million. Just quickly, to get a sense of where that money is going, uh, a lot of money is going into to scholarships, and the state is trying to put more money into college scholarships. Not enough to meet the need, by any means. And we explain that in the series as well. But more money for college scholarships, more money for uh, college and career counselors to advise high school students about their options after graduation, uh, more money, and this is really growing rapidly, we, we hear this a lot at the state house. more money to allow high school students to take college-level courses, dual-credit courses, AP classes, international baccalaureate, you name it. The state is covering that and paying for it for, for free for, for kids to take those classes with the idea that if kids get a taste of college, they get some success in college-level courses, they're more likely to continue their education and enroll in college. So here we are. You know, we're, we're five years in uh, and $100 million in, and, you know, the results have been you know, fairly limited to, to the point where, as I was talking to people about the math and about the numbers and about the budgets, um, I got some mixed responses. Um, I heard from, you know, a couple of folks, including Wendy Horman, uh, a key legislator uh, and budget writer at the legislature, saying, you know, that's quite a bit of money that we're spending and we're not really getting much in terms of outcomes. As I talked to uh, Chuck Staden, the president in the, at the University of Idaho, and I showed him our numbers, uh, 
I mean, he, he said, you know, another way to look at it is if we weren't spending this money, our numbers, our, our you know, college completion numbers, our post-secondary completion numbers might be even lower than they are now. And we wouldn't want to be there. So I think it was kind of a sobering um, math exercise for me and the responses that I got from from key political and policy stakeholders in this whole debate. It was pretty pretty telling, pretty uh, pretty interesting response. Sure, and, and there's some anecdotal evidence out there, but did you have a chance to get a sense of who these new programs are, are benefiting uh, and who's taking advantage of, of these programs? You talked about the $100 million investment. You talked about a couple of the different programs. Do you have a sense of who's taking advantage of that? Right, and I think the anecdotal evidence would suggest that a lot of the benefit is going to to kids who may be pretty much hardwired to continue their education anyway. Uh, kids who have done well uh, in K through 12. Maybe they're, they're, they're kids uh, whose parents went to college themselves. They may be in a setting where they're predisposed to go to college anyway. So for, for these students to be able to take the SAT for free, to take uh, some dual credit classes for free and, and get some college credits while in high school, uh, th- that's certainly helping them prepare for college, get some credits, get prepared, um, you know, get a leg up as they head to college. But it's not getting you new students into the system. Yeah. You know, and nobody's saying that it's a bad thing to help uh, high school students be prepared for college sure. and, and have some credits. Um, but it's not... If the idea is to get more students into the pipeline, into the post-secondary pipeline, these programs may not be doing it. I mean, the, the anecdotal evidence that, that I used in one day of the series, I uh, was talking to a, a student up in Coeur d'Alene. She's going to graduate from high school next year with an associate's degree from North Idaho College. She's going to have a, a degree as well as a diploma. And her plan uh, is to go to the University of Idaho. She wants to major in, in marketing and she expects to have her bachelor's from U of I within two or three years. I mean, she is you know driven to get her degree quickly. She wants to get you know get it done quickly, get into the workforce. Her name is Daphne Dryden. She's a you know very you know ambitious student. I mean, and you know it's pretty clear talking to her. Her folks both went to college. They didn't you know dictate to her to go to college, but they made it pretty clear you've got to do something after high school. We want you to continue your education in one manner or another. So you know. Now, here's a high-achieving student taking a lot of dual credit classes, um, certainly being you know, certainly beneficiary of uh, what we're spending money on in terms of the dual credit. Yeah, but, that's that's a, a, a tangible example of how it's working. That's almost kind of the gold standard, Kevin, that we heard about when these programs were introduced at the legislative level, that these high school students would be able to graduate high school one day and uh, earn their associate's degree essentially the next day, and that's a springboard. That, that right. saves them a lot of money uh, on higher education, and uh, that gets them a jump start. That's really the gold standard for how this program would work, but... We've also talked about in order to meet the 60% goal, you're going to have to reach some of the kids where maybe their parents didn't go to college. Maybe they hadn't been thinking about going to college. And my favorite, one of my favorite aspects of this series uh, was when you had a chance to talk to students. You talked about Daphne's story, uh, but one whole day of the series was dedicated uh, to just talking to students, right? And and you met some interesting Mm -hmm. students and they were all bright. They were all ambitious. They all had plans. 
but not everyone had college on their radar, right? Right, and, and that was the the goal of that day of the series. And back oh, six months ago, when we started thinking about doing this series, and I was talking to uh, public information officers from school districts about what we had in mind, and, and eventually we wound up uh, doing a lot of our interviewing in, in Blaine County. As I explained what we wanted to do uh, you know, to the to the district, uh, you know, public information officers, one of the things I said is, look, I, I, I want to talk to college-bound kids, but I don't want to just talk to college-bound right. kids. I want to hear from uh, kids who are maybe going to take a career technical track or maybe go on a church mission and put off college until after they've served their faith. And I want to talk to, you know, students who are going to the military or going straight into the workforce. So, you know, day two, I think, was probably the most fun day of the series yeah. for me to to put together and to write. Because, as you said, the, the five kids that we talked to and used as case studies, uh, they are all, all you know, they've put thought into where they're going. They're, they're smart. You know, they've got you know, life goals and a sense of why these are their goals and how they uh, set forth to get there. But they're taking very different tracks. Yeah. And, and that was the interesting part of it. I mean, talking to, you know, one student up in Blaine County, she doesn't want to go to one college. She wants to go to two simultaneously. She's applying to a bunch of schools. She wants to study art, but she also wants to study environmental sciences. So she's looking at Brown University, an Ivy League school. She's looking at a, a school of design in Providence, Rhode Island. She wants to, you know, concurrently enroll. Um, you know, she's you know, very driven, very college-bound, and you know, first-generation student. A lot of obstacles that she's faced along the way. Um, you know, just you know. Uh, just really a, a fascinating young young woman to talk to with a very fascinating and very you know, you know inspiring life story. Um, I talked to students who were looking maybe more of a two year school or you know you know, you know career technical track. Um, one of the most interesting interviews in the whole process was talking to um, a young man. His name is Elijah Sylvia. He's uh, also a senior at Wood River High School, and his plan is. He wants to go straight into the workforce, and he can go straight into the workforce. His his father owns a roofing company, so when you know when the building trade is going well in Blaine County, as it often is because of all the residential growth and, and vacation home uh, you know, construction going on up there, they do pretty well. As I talked to him about um, you know kind of how the business goes, he said, you know, it was kind of rough during the recession, but it, w it was manageable. We got through the recession just fine, and, and as as I talked to his counselor a few few days later, you know, the aha moment for me was, you know, Elijah was probably in, what, fourth or fifth grade when the Great Recession hit? I mean, so he's really actually had to put some thought into it and think back to what it was like several years ago and how the ups and downs of the business. I mean, yeah, he's a, he's a smart a smart young man, but he, he, by his own account, doesn't have a whole lot of interest in continuing his education, never felt really... Like he was a great student uh, through K-12 and really wants to get on with his life and start to make some money and, you know, put money towards his own house, uh, put money towards a car. He just feels like that's a better investment in himself. And as I talked to his counselor, um, you know, she said to me, look, he's doing what I want to see you know, these students do. He's put thought into his decision and he's got a plan and he's going to make really good money for an 18-year-old. So, you know... I, I thought it was an interesting story because as we talk about this whole 60% goal and we talk about getting kids to continue their education and get a degree or get a certificate, 
Elijah Sylvia does not count towards your 60% because he's not going to continue his education. But, you know, you, you talk to him about his plan, you talk to his counselor about whether, you know, what he's planning, you know, it makes sense. I mean, you know, he's going to make some good money after after high school. So a lot of the, the folks that I've spoken to, you know, for this series and before this series will say, how is that a bad outcome? I mean, if we're really all about, you know, what's happening with folks, uh, with high school graduates as they head into college and career, college or career, whichever track they wind up taking, isn't it about the outcome? Isn't it about whether, you know, these uh, high school graduates are ready to contribute and, you know, you know, have a productive life. So I thought it was really interesting just talking to those students and getting their, you know, getting a sense of kind of how their, how their life stories have affected their decisions and, and talk to them a little bit about, are you using dual credit? Are you, yeah. you know, you know, what about SAT day? Did, did that make much of a difference to you to take the SAT for free? And, you know, is it helping to have more more FaceTime with uh, college and career counselors to kind of talk about the policy through the prism of, of the kids? I thought was really interesting. They were you know, they were a fascinating bunch of kids to talk to, and we we have student stories interspersed throughout four days of the series, all four days of the series. But day two is really about those students, so you know it was a fun one to put together. Yeah, you can head over to IdahoEdNews.org to check that out. And, and- Talking with the students, having a chance to really hear the students in their own words gives you a sense of all the different dynamics in play. And I think that, yeah, I mean, how could you argue anything other than Elijah is on a path to success and, and he's put some thought into it and he's set himself up to succeed? Mm-hmm. Um, hard to argue anything other than that. Right. And, you know, and as I talked to some of these, uh, you know, some of the other students, um, you know, I think they're just taking a lot of different tracks. And one of the things that I heard, not surprisingly, over and over from students and also from the counselors, you have to think about this in terms of affordability. You know, you, this becomes a dollars and cents decision and a difficult dollars and cents decision uh, for eighteen-year-olds to make. One of the one of the other one of the other Wood River High School students I spoke to, um, her plan is to to go to College of Southern Idaho. Um, eventually, I think her first plan is to uh, study cosmetology. And then go to CSI and study business. So she's kind of taking a two-step approach to getting herself ready to uh, open up her own salon and have her own business. And, and this is what she wants to do. But, you know, as I talked to her, her older si- siblings had all gone to the University of Idaho. And, you know, she looked at it and could not get to feeling comfortable about the prospect of going into debt for four years uh, of college. And... That was a theme that I heard over and over, not just from the students. Um, as I talked to the uh, university presidents, I talked to you know, Boise State President Bob Custra. He related an anecdote from a time that he went out to Marsing, rural uh, Owyhee County High School, uh, a few months ago to talk to seniors there about what their plans are. And these were kids who, they've got the grades, they could go to college, but they really don't have the interest in it. And part of the reason that they don't have the interest in it, as, as Castro was relating the story, was uh, these students had no interest in going into debt to go to college. They were freaked out by the prospect of borrowing thousands of dollars to go to college. And, and part of that is kind of almost a cultural thing. Um, you know, these, these students, you know, their parents run maybe a farm or a ranch, and they do it kind of on a pay-as-you-go basis. They're, they're not, you know... 
as, as a family, as uh, business owners, they don't believe in debt. So that's sort of a, a value that's instilled in, in, in these students. So it's tough, you know, university officials can certainly make the case of, well, if you, if you get a college degree, you may exit with debt, but you may make more money out of college. So it's, you know, if you look at it in the long term, it may be a, a good long-term investment. But that's a tough argument, and it's a tough case to make if you've got students who are really averse to that, that debt. I mean, For a 17-year-old to wrap his or her arms around that, especially if older brother, older sister, mom and dad maybe haven't been to college themselves, mm-hmm. uh, to go through that process and, and tell you what it's like. and uh, I mean, you as a parent you went through that with your sons in the application I, I, process and the financial aid process. Um, it's a lot, right? As a parent, it's a really tough process to go through. You're right. I mean, it was a, you know, it was made easier because I'd been through it as as a student myself. But you know, it's a very relatable story to all of us, whether we're whether we're parents or not, whether our, our kids are, are contemplating college or if they're at that age where you know you're starting to think about this, or you think back to your own, you know, your own adolescence. I mean, the first you know encounter I had with having to make the decision and the commitment to go into debt personally was when I went to college. And it was doing the math of saying, well, yeah, I'm going to have to go into debt, but bottom line, I think this is the best deal out there for me, even if it involves some debt. Luckily, you and I had lucrative careers in print journalism lined up. Well, <laughs> right. You know, it was the, the, the pathway to, uh, to, 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 to riches, right? But, no, it, but seriously. But seriously, it's a tough decision. I mean, you know, you know, as I was talking to, you know, again, to, to Chuck Staben, the, the president of the University of Idaho, he said, you know, we're expecting 18-year-olds to make really sophisticated financial decisions, and that's tough. So, I mean, there's a lot there on the affordability aspect. So we spent a whole day looking at affordability because how can you not? <laughs> if you're talking about college and if you're talking about post-secondary and the decisions 18-year-olds are going to have to make, if you're not thinking about the affordability aspect, you're missing a big part of the story. And you know, more numbers. I, I hate to throw a lot of numbers out on the podcast, but numbers that really stuck out to me. Over the course of the past 40 years, uh, the state has increased its general fund budget for higher education by fivefold. So, you know, that's what we've done in terms of tax support for higher education. The amount of money that the universities are collecting from students and parents in the form of fees that number has increased by a factor of 69. What you've, what you've had happen over the course of these you know, 40 years is a clear shift away from taxpayer support of higher education as sort of a public good to uh, student and parent support of higher education as, you know, as, as a user fee, yeah. as a, you know, a user fee approach and as a, this is an objective towards uh, investing in, in your future. Very, very fundamental shift in the way we pay for higher education, and that's affecting students, and that's affecting student decisions. So a big part of what we looked at in this this whole series. And then in day four, we look at, well, where do we go from here? I mean, what's it going to take to get from 42% to 60%? And you know, short answer, it's going to take a while, and it's going to take even more uh, public uh, investment in programs designed to try to get more students into that pipeline. Yeah, I want to make sure we don't miss anything. I wanted to make sure that we talk about where we go uh, from here. And there's no easy answers, but you explore that in the final day of the series. 
if, if there's nothing else that I, I've, I've missed that we wanted to highlight from the series itself, on the same theme of where we go from here, um, we got a little bit, perhaps, of a sneak peek of the higher education agenda at the legislature through a surprising means this week, didn't we, Kevin? Yeah, we did. Um, you know, so we've had coverage of this over the past few weeks of, of the idea of trying to create a CEO for higher education, uh, try to find some efficiencies, try to find some some ways to kind of streamline the uh, overhead in the university system and use that money and apply that money towards things like scholarships, just like we were talking about before. Yeah. Uh, scholarships that are not uh, sufficient to meet the demand and not sufficient to provide money for every kid who's eligible for, for a college scholarship. So this CEO proposal has been floating around for a while. Uh, Governor Otter has been, as is his custom, pretty uh, close-lipped about whether he supports it and whether it's going to be part of his state of the state. Uh, Enter Idaho Business for Education then uh, earlier this week uh, sent out a, an email to its members talking about uh, the group's legislative priorities and said that uh, they would be working with Governor Otter on the CEO proposal. Spoiler alert. Yeah, really. I mean, that is not, you know, the, the protocol is, you know, let the governor do his thing at the state of the state address on the first day of the session. So I was very, it, it jumped out at me right away as I saw that in the email that uh, this is not something you see very often. And, and there was a quick, not a correction, but a walking back. A walking back, back from, from Rod Grammer, the, uh, the president of IBE. Uh, went to uh, the Associated Press and said, you know, look, we're, we, you know, I, I overstated it. I mean, we've talked to the governor about this. Um, I did not want to, you know, imply that he is supporting this or that he's going to go, um, you know, have this as part of his uh, education agenda or have it as part of the state of the state. So, you know, the suspense builds, I suppose, as we uh, wait for January 8th and the start of the session and the governor's final state of the state address. What's in, what's not in, you know, we'll be there to see it, and we'll, and we'll be there to hear it, and we'll have uh, the full coverage, obviously, on the 8th and then moving forward. But just a little bit more intrigue about what, uh, what to look for next month. Absolutely. Uh, the series is awesome. It's great work. Uh, I, I don't know that people have a sense of you were working on this for month, uh, months, gathering data, requesting public documents, doing interviews across the state writing draft upon draft of the series. I don't know if people have a sense that, you know, this isn't something you did Friday and then we published it uh, Monday, but it could not be more timely, uh, both heading into the legislative session uh, and also as we have all these higher education proposals on the table, waiting to see what picks up, what gets moved forward. Um, it's timely. The research is exhaustive. Uh, there's solid numbers and research in there mixed with uh, anecdotal perspective and interviews, so there's a lot to digest. Head over to idahoednews.org. We've organized it real simply. If you scroll down to the bottom, you can start at day one, and then each of the headlines has day two, day three, day four, uh, so you won't miss anything. You won't have to tackle it out of order. There were a couple yeah, other... And, and, I, and I do want to, yep. before we let go of this topic, I, I do want to give some, some, some credit to two of our co-workers who, who helped me on this project. Andrew Reed. Our multimedia reporter was out there in the field with me. Uh, great photos and, and really great videos, uh, video segments. Uh, you can hear from some of the students uh, firsthand. Uh, you've got video segments uh, with uh, Bob Kostra and, and some of the students. And, and just really great photos. I mean, you, you really you know, get a sense of these uh, young students uh, through his, his photos. It's you know, typically 
uh, great work from Andrew Reid, as we've come to expect. I mean, this is what he does best, and he, he really did some great stuff. John Sisk, uh, better known as IT John around here, <laughs> our, um, our, our IT guru, uh, did the graphics for this series, which really helped you see the numbers. I mean, you know, if you think numbers are boring to hear on a podcast and they're, they're hard to track, uh, IT John, John Sisk, did a, a really nice job of breaking down those numbers into graphics. Very uh, understandable, very easy to, to track. Um, you can see some of these numbers, and they are eye-opening. Very cool stuff. We had a couple of other big stories this week that I don't want to get lost in the shuffle. We're gearing up for a increasingly more important March election. Uh, that's even before yeah, we get to the primaries. That's for sure. And in March, we're going to be looking at school bonds and levies. Uh, Kevin, we have a sense of a couple uh, that are already looking ahead to March, right? Yeah, a little bit of drama on this already. Uh, Devin Bodkin, our Eastern Idaho reporter, was there for a, a kind of tense exchange between uh, Superintendent Chuck Shackett and one of the trustees. Bottom line, Bonneville is going to go before voters. They're going to seek $60 million worth of bond issues. The structure of the bond issues and, and the way it will be presented to voters was uh, was debated vigorously mm-hmm. <laughs> in a board meeting earlier this week. At one point, uh, Shaka told uh, Greg Calder, one of the trustees, to get out of his face after the uh, the vote on on the construction. The, the construction of how the bond issues will right. be presented to voters. So... A little bit of tension there, but that's a $60 million set of proposals that will be on the ballot there. West Ada's got some, some you know, got a bond issue and a supplemental levy. Uh, we just heard earlier this week that Middleton is going to seek a bond issue as well. Twin Falls has a plant facilities levy, and we're only into December. I mean, we're only going to see, we're likely to see more districts come forward with proposals in that March election. So right in the middle of the run up to the end of the legislative session. We're going to have a very busy uh, election day uh, to look for in March. All right. Sounds good. That gets us up with all of our top stories. I know a lot of people like to listen to this podcast on Friday afternoon uh, before they wrap up their work week. So if you're listening uh, today on this Friday, December 15th, and you want to watch Kevin on TV uh, to talk about his series, you can catch him on Idaho Reports on Idaho Public Television Friday night, December 15th. You can check your local listings uh, to find out when and how to watch that. But you'll be right. breaking down your series. We'll talk about the series. It'll be That show will premiere Friday night. Uh, it'll be rebroadcast on Sunday, and then it'll be available on the website, so you can catch up with that uh, there. Good stuff. All right. Uh, always have a lot of fun on the Extra Credit Podcast. I want to point out, with Christmas break coming up, this may be our final podcast of 2017. Uh, it's not uh, It's not our final podcast period. We just may be uh, taking a, a couple weeks off. Uh, however, we do reserve the right to maybe bring you an emergency podcast between now and the end of the year of a couple of stories that are simmering. Uh, break for us. So we reserve the right to come back. But if not, never fret. We will be back the first week of January and we will have a preview of the 2018 legislative session on tap. Uh, So look for that if you don't see us or hear from us again uh, between now and New Year's. So so maybe happy holidays. Well, well, happy holidays regardless, but this may be the last time you hear from us until after the uh after the new year. Or is it? Anyways, <laughs> we have, uh, we have a lot of... Suspense, cliffhanger ending here. <laughs> we have a lot of fun on the Extra Credit Podcast. Appreciate everybody uh, for listening in each and every week. You can follow us on Twitter at Idaho Ed News. If you would like to follow all of our breaking news, uh, while we're not podcasting at the end of the year, we will still post any news stories 
on Twitter. We will be back for sure after the first of the year, looking ahead to the legislative session, looking ahead to the March bond and levy elections, always keeping an eye on the 2018 elections. Uh, We have a gubernatorial race, state superintendent's race, congressional races, and every legislative seat expires. We will be busy, busy, busy in 2018. Thanks so much. Uh, Always appreciate it. I'm Clark. I'm Kevin. Have a good week.